Hello and welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother, Brother podcast. And today we are talking about the Killers, um, a band who sort of had mixed reaction to over the years, but I, I, I'm sort of, um, the, my my defenses are crumbling and I'm, I'm kind of coming to love these guys. Uh, Jeremy, what, what's your feeling on the Killers? Yeah, I think it's the same same kind of thing. I think it's a band that, um, gosh, their first album came out in 04, right? right? So um, I would have been in my late 20s, early 30s, and uh, late 20s, that is, and, um, you know, I think they had a sheen that I was sort of anti at the time, right? You know, I was kind of always, you know, into the underground or, or indie music, and, and these guys came out of the gates, uh, or as you like to say, fully formed, and... Um, it kind of blew the socks off, but I couldn't help but love songs like Mr. Brightside and, and you know, um, even further on down the, the list there. Um, what was the first song? The Dance Floor? or uh, What was the first single? Somebody that Told Do Me. Remember? Somebody Told Me, yeah, okay. And, uh, you know, so those songs were instantly, like, just great and catchy. Um, and it was a band that I sort of thought would kind of fade, but we're here in 2020, and we've got a, a new album, Imploding the Mirage. Exploding the Mirage. Um, which we we were sort Speculating. of uh, without doing any research. <laughs> yeah, that it could be that it a, could be an allusion to, a, uh, to actually uh, the uh, actual dis- demolition of the Mirage Hotel in in Vegas. Exactly, um, and you know, I think being from Vegas and kind of hitting the scene at a time where I guess it was considered sort of the rebirth of of rock, um, especially. Uh, in circa New York City in London, um, these guys kind of popped onto the scene like um, rock star aliens. Yeah, there was it was it was weird at a time when everybody was too cool for school. They were doing like full on pomp, you know. They were you know and doing it well. I, and that was the thing. It's sort of I try as I may to resist it. I remember people playing me this album like you're, you're gonna love it, and then you know being like yeah yeah. And then I it was a weird circumstance actually. I was watching. Uh, a movie that probably nobody has seen called Matador with Pierce Brosnan. And it's a weird movie. (laughs) But uh, all these things that I've done is the closing credits song. And I Mm. don't know that I had really heard that song before. And all of a sudden I was like, what the fuck is this? This is great. And then I'm like, oh my God, it's the killers. Um, And then then I had to reassess. Then I went back and gave Hot Fuss the full... Uh, my full attention and uh, great name for an album by the way too. totally totally um, yeah, and, I, and I missed that at the time I hate to say yeah I actually didn't realize until I was doing a little bit of uh, poking around doing a little bit of research today that the name I mean as, as obvious as it kind of is is a uh, is taken from the drum kit of a fictional uh, fictional band in a new order video which makes oh, perfect wow. sense <laughs> that's very cool um, yeah, it, you know, so there's all these little little hidden things. And then also, you know, I mean, <clears throat> I, um, you know, it was a it was a strange thing to, to you know, find out that they were, like, um, Mormons from Vegas. And that yeah. was always a weird bump because they were sort of lumped in with the New York, you know, with the Strokes and the yeah, yeah, yeahs and, and all that sort of uh, music that was documented in Meet Me in the Bathroom. Um, you know, they came out the, around the same time the, the White Stripes were getting fully uh, recognized and popular. 
And so yep. it was, and they sort of stand, uh, stood as, you know, pretty significant counterbalance. I mean, the whole ethos of the White Stripes was, was you know, take it down. The guitar the, and drums. <laughs> to the barest of bones. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, primitive drums. And yeah. So, like, these guys coming out as, like, the most produced, um, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of theatricality in there in the band, and and so it was, you know, it was kind of. I felt like their their most, uh, and I've said this to you before. I thought I think that their most, um, the closest comp you can come to to them is another band that was sort of breaking out massively at the time, which was Coldplay. Yeah, no, it's funny. I was looking at O Four, and and you know they were like kind of lauded in with like British Sea Power, and and you know all these bands yeah. that. That kind of faded pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah, I like them too. They had some great songs. Um, But it was also that time, that kind of in-between time. I know that um, like internet and streaming music and and Napster and stuff like that were in iPods were around. But it was still sort of in-between or they were new. I think the um, iPod was 2004. Yeah, okay. So it had just come out then. Um, So you still had MTV stuff. You still had kind of uh, rock media. And I think there was, you know, like you said, kind of this like thing about being wanting to be too big and um and this is a band that like i felt guilty for almost liking like i was you know turning in my cred or something Mm -hmm. um but you couldn't help but but really like it and and they had to have been huge in europe and i think they did kind of blow up there first they blew up in england first yeah yeah um who loves this you know i mean worldwide kind of has a bit and i don't i actually don't know the manic street preachers as well as you do but i I feel like they have that same kind of like bigness to them or something yeah there's an Um, earnestness and a and a volume that i could say that they share although um the killers seem a little bit more i um to acknowledge their irony a little bit i mean the manics are pretty political yeah um i think the other thing too is is that it was a band that like um he originally, you know, um, was a little bit hostile to the press um, as far as, like, Brandon Flowers, that is. So it's three kind of main members. Um, let me grab all their names because I'm not good with names. If you, Unless you have them on the top of your head, go for it. Yeah, it's Dave, I think, uh, Kerning and Yeah, guitar. Dave Kerning. Mark Stormer. Um, Who's bass and then Ronnie Venucci, which is a Ronnie Venucci Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Rock name as well on drums. And I think the three have been kind of the stalwarts throughout, but, um, you know, met at UNLV Mm -hmm. and then started playing together. And, um, you know, right away, I mean, kind of hit, hit, hit the ground running, but I think too, um, you know, Brandon Flowers notoriously, who's, who's kind of stepped away from the press early on, was fairly confrontational even about other bands like the bravery and things like that coming up kind of riding the killers uh tailwinds mm-hmm. there yeah i think the other the other band that I, for, I had forgotten that sort of lands smack in the middle of this time frame who was and it actually you know this is the band that i sort of leaned towards um in response to the killers was franz ferdinand yes yep, yep. they're 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 kind of similarly constructed in a way um they're both obvious major acolytes of of you know sort of mid 80s yeah 80s, yep. um the good stuff you know the joy division new order strain of of that sort of uh yeah, era and so it was it was interesting even though you know it, it, was, it was very different i mean franz ferdinand was this was an interesting band in the sense that 
you know, their their lead singer, um, or you know, sort of front man was, uh, you know, at the time a thirty six year old former food critic. Um, right. So Older. somebody who was doing this as a as a second career kind of lark, whereas these guys, I mean, it, and it, it does, you know, the Mormonism does figure in in, in a way because it also, you know, these guys had this very sort of. Um, uh, excessive image in, in terms of piling on sound on sound. There was nothing uh, subtle about their music, but also you look, you know, then you read an article and you're like, oh, this guy's 23, married and expecting a child. You know, it's kind of a, yeah. a weird, you know, you, you it, this is not a rock and roll lifestyle. So it was. And one of was, my favorite um, kind of. Uh, early stories around him was I, I believe he was working at like Urban Outfitters at the time, <laughs> which is like the perfect you know I don't think you'd walk into an Urban Outfitter uh, and Outfitters not hear and the not killers. Hear the killers. <laughs> exactly. Know? Yeah. Is, I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe that's maybe that's the the touchstone for the band. But yeah, it was. It had that Urban Outfitters quality in, in exactly the way that it was like, oh, this this looks cool. I shouldn't like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I, I really want the original uh, faded tour T-shirt, but I would totally buy that. Yeah, um, but but honestly, like, this is I sort of fell mm-hmm. under the the you know, and and this is my own journey with it, but uh, and journey, of course. Um, but uh, it, it sort of uh, it was a band I hated to love. It was a band I again I will say I resisted liking, and then. This album came out uh, a couple weeks ago, Exploding the Mirage, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I love The Killers. Yeah, no, I'm kind of with you. The minute it came out, I actually listened to the whole thing, and it's a a solid Killers record. I mean, that's the other thing. It's it's consistency um, in a way, too, that these guys really... And I I will, you know, admit to not probably um, following every record, and we're on number... What are we on now? Number six? I think it's six, yeah. Six or seven. Um, but they're, yeah, they're wonderful, wonderful. And the ones, ones that live, came out yeah, in so mid-teens, I didn't really pay attention at all. No, but it's a band that also has maintained a huge audience. I do want to actually talk about the second album, the follow-up, because I think that says a lot about the band, too. Mm-hmm. Um, just in the sense of, like, you know, it was such a, a departure. Like, let's think, I guess, if we can comp them, we'll comp them to a couple bands, and, and but, like, real quickly, just the Strokes, who came out at the same time. Um, the White Stripes definitely did their thing, um, you know, and, and I think Franz Ferdinand, like you said, stood alone. But the Strokes were probably, like, the most critically media-hyped band. Yeah, they were kind of, I, I, I feel like kicked the door in, and, and you know, initially. Um, but, you know, to go from Room on Fire, which I actually really enjoy, it's a great, you know, kind of... Uh, second version of this is it is you know this, it's a, is this it part two yeah. yeah yeah exactly and um to where you had sam's town which was like i mean it was definitely their rattle and hum moment or their uh born, born to run, run or whatever you want to call it yeah i mean but it was just such a you know blatant like we want to be you know joshua tree you two you know just that big you know like mm-hmm. we're and and even took those kind of americana I mean, I think that was the funny thing about them and the thing that was hard to love or wholeheartedly love was they took really good influences and weren't, um, you know, weren't subtly, weren't subtle about it at all, right? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're going to do Born to Run our, you know, our way with, um, what is it, uh, the title single off of Sam's Town. I got my memory. Uh, When you were young. When we were young. Yeah, which, again, is a song that I, I... 
knew I liked the first time I heard it and, and but told everybody I hate it. You know, I was like, oh, I hate that song. It's so annoying. And then finally I'm like, um, that's like, that song's great. Like, it's so good, you know. Well, well, initially it was like singing about Jesus and, and, you know, kind of like, you know, it's way too long. It's, it's just, yeah. It has like 17 sections. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, it's, yeah, it's bridges over, choruses over, you know, sub-choruses over. But I, I also, you know, I, you know, I always have that sort of uh, notion that I can't stand songs that, inclu- you know, include references to Jesus, Elvis, uh, rock and roll, or Vegas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this one sort of packs them all in, and uh, more yeah. or less. And, uh, but it is undeniable, you know, it was sort of... It is undeniable. It, that was another album, though, that that because of the bombast and because of the ambition was not well received critically at the time. No, I think uh, going back, it's gotten uh, you know more favorable viewing or listening. But um, but yeah, no, I think it was because you know there was an arrogance I think to the band that I didn't remember as much because I wasn't as tuned into like probably MTV and, and Rolling Stone and the things at the time. But yeah, I think um, Rolling Stone gave it two star review and said that it basically you're right. sucked. Yeah, you're right. And if you look it up today on kind of like a you know all music or something, I think it gets like four. You know. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's like Rob Sheffield, who of all people, you know, I mean, I think wrote a book about Taylor Swift. I mean, it's like this guy shouldn't yeah. be averse. But again, I think he's a little bit. You know, I think he's more of a contemporary of mine, and probably. Um, you know, in his early fifties and he is, you know, he is that guy, he was cool. And then he was like, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, Taylor Swift's really good. Um, yeah, well, it's the same way. I mean, when you do a kind of like new wave or not even new wave at that point, they kind of went to kind of straight on Bruce Springsteen style song. It wasn't cool to like Bruce either back then, you know, or to do that. Yeah. No, I mean, it was all the elements of a Bruce Springsteen album from a band that was supposed to be kind of an underground darling. And yep. so you got the sax and the, you know, I mean, you're half surprised when the sax kicks in, he doesn't go like, let's throw it to the big man, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, it's got the, it, it just is. It's, um, but also, you know, I think the other band of that era, again, um, you know, we're saying was, that was super ambitious was Coldplay. And yeah. I think both of them, because it's, you know, I mean, the Coldplay has been shit on for so long. Um, you know, it, it, this is going to be like me in the '90s predicting the mustache was coming back and, and being about 13 years too early. But I do think that we're on the we're pretty close to the verge of when people are like, you know what, Coldplay's good. They are, and I think it's similar. I think it's a it's a band. I didn't. It's weird. Like a, maybe because of girlfriends or something, I probably <laughs> heard more Coldplay than I, I did Killers at the time. Um, but like uh, those are first three or four Coldplay albums are really good, and I, I agree. I think it's something that like another band that um, you know kind of got its start with other underground bands, if you want to call them that, or hyped bands or kind yeah. of critically acclaimed bands, and then um, outgrew them pretty quickly. Just, yeah, and just sort of like you know use their heads to step on uh, as they kind of were already in another stratosphere. Um, and I think that it's a band too that like was not afraid that just wanted bigger things and didn't have the talent to do it. And I, I think the Killers are like that too. I think the Killers are, are, are a very talented group as well. And th- there's mm-hmm. a big difference there. I'm not that the you know other bands obviously the White Stripes and Strokes are too. But they're you know I, one other thing I was going to throw out there, and this is complete um, speculation, is 
being from Vegas, I don't know their socioeconomic situation or anything like that. Um, but I always kind of equate like it's kind of like the Flaming Lips or you know being from nowhere or the Beatles being the poor band and the the Stones being the the sort of rich kids. You know, as much as I, I really love the the first couple Strokes albums, you know they were like you felt like they had true New York street grit and cool, but they were really loaded like Manhattan kids, you know, yeah, <laughs> like totally there's nothing wrong with that, but, it, but they were, they could have, yeah. but, but, you know, I think the, there's a, you know, laziness or something that comes a little bit with that. Um, and they definitely had the cool for sure. And I think with like a band and I, again, don't know the killer's kind of background. I'm assuming it's, it's fairly, probably solid, you know, upper middle class or middle class or whatever, but just being from nowhere, I feel like you, those bands or people tend to have something to prove in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having worked with like LDS folks before, it's, it's not a, it's not frowned upon to be ambitious. Um, right. Or to work hard. Very much yeah. Current. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, <laughs> It's, um, you know, it's interesting that, um, you know, the, the, the origins of the band are sort of split between Utah and, and Vegas. And, um, you know, I was, I kind of started doing my research today and hoping I could uncover, you know, what, where Brandon Flowers' family, uh, what, what they were all about, because I feel like he might, he must be the son of entertainers, but I, I think everyone in Vegas is an entertainer. So I, I'm not yeah. sure if I'm correct in that, but there is, um, you know, there's, uh, I always there's something about being from Vegas that that you know I mean the immediately leaps to mind you know brings to mind like Andre Agassi or somebody who you know the people who are actually from Vegas it's a it's a weird place to be from yeah no definitely there's another thing about this band that and this is one thing that actually still I can't decide or, or tell and um and I think it falls on the edge of like these guys really want to be taken seriously is that a good take you think or yeah, is it uh, I, I do yeah. I, they're not I, it's it's post irony um, yeah exactly you know I think the bolero jackets and the and the you know light shows and, and all that stuff it, you know it, it's that's part of you know that in, you know coming from Vegas doesn't doesn't seem like excess it seems like right. how you perform because you an audience paid to see you so you perform you know yeah um, you put on a show yeah, and I don't think that, and I think that was a little bit of what kept them from being taken totally seriously by critics. But um, you know, it's funny too. In you know, they had I think their second album was done um, not accidentally it was re- uh, produced by Flood. Um, yep. You know, he of uh, Octung Baby fame. Um, this one, which is also very um, anthemic and bombastic, and has all the the basic benchmarks for a killer's album is produced by Jonathan Rado from uh, Foxygen. Oh, um, wow. And that in and of itself is a, is a weird grab because a, I think uh, Foxygen is a, is, you know, I mean, everyone's, you know, good. They're a really good band and had some really interesting ideas. I don't think they ever really put it together as much as I wanted them to. Um, it seemed like they were, Dicking around and, be, and a little bit afraid to be taken seriously, um, but I do think Jonathan Rado's uh, music and you know ability, um, you know, I think he has a great ear for for melody and and also just you know can really patch some some weird shit together and make it sound cool. I do think though it is it might also be a grab for credibility, just because he's an underground 
kind of a sensation rather than a... Yeah, but they yeah. could work with anybody, so they had to have kind of sought him out too, you know? Oh, you, I'm sorry, sorry. The credibility on their end, yes. yes. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. I thought you meant his. <laughs> no, I was like, no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> on the contrary. I think, yeah. you know, instead of working with... You know Daniel Lanois or you know Brian right. Eno or or who you know pick the person. Uh, you know my my uh, uh, examples are a little dated on that front. Um, <laughs> Your examples are the uh, the early '90s, late '80s. Totally, albums. although they still you know they're still yeah they still around. do a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, but instead of you know instead of that they they went with somebody who's kind of. Uh, um, you know, got a lot of indie cred. Yeah, I have a sense that this band, um, again, like I'm completely um, kind of throwing out just some opinions here, but like I get a sense that they are probably like feel like they're owed a little bit of that credibility too at this point, you know? Um, It's a band that, you know, headlines huge European festivals and U.S. festivals. I mean, you know, it's a band that I think like I've not been to Coachella or things like that, but like packs the the house when there are Lollapaloozas in Chicago and stuff that, that when they do play and is, you know, draws a huge crowd because they put on a show and, you know, people love the anthemic songs, yeah. you know? Um, and then I think too, that, you know, it's a band that's kind of stuck it out and, and remained, you know, fairly, I mean, productive and, and creative, and whereas others, like I said, have kind of like noodled around since then, you know, with the exception of Jack White, um, they've either, you know, broken up, disappeared or, or you know, kind of put out mediocre um, follow ups. So I think it's a band, too, that, yeah, it makes sense that like and I, I, it's it's obviously ripe. Like, I think, you know, our co other host, Christian, who, who couldn't make this uh, episode back in school. But, I, you know, I think for his age group, they may not have the same issues we had with the killers. Mm-hmm. Um it might be just like I mean I would love this stuff if I was younger and it was on the radio and you know it would have been excellent versus yeah like and Hot Fuzz came out when he was yeah. sixteen you know right so perfect you know and and um but I think that age group um, probably but I think the age group of these guys the, the actual band has probably always been a little bit askance at like their uh, you know at, at being able to say I, I love the Killers like you mm-hmm. just admitted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to take a quick break? We'll come back. Yeah, let's listen to. Uh, what do you want to listen to? Uh, actually, play the new one. I think. Um, yeah, do it. Um, you want to do the opening track? Yeah, the opening track. Soul's warning. Yeah, I love cool. that song. Through the clutter of the whirlwind of these days 
welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod. Today it's just Wyndham and I, and um, Wyndham has pronounced and finally confessed to his love of the Killers, and we're talking the Killers today off of their new album, Exploring the Mirage. So, Win. Yeah, I just close out this Killers conversation. What do you got? I just wanted to say that um, you know, in in addition to working with Jonathan Rado um, and another uh, co-producer. Um, they have excellent choice. I mean, they have excellent taste in, uh, in, um, Calabras. Um, on this album, they have two of my favorite female vocalists of all time, uh, working on songs. Uh, one Katie Lang and Wiseblood are both on this album, which I think nice. is pretty fantastic. Um, also just a weird, um, kind of generational bridge. I mean, if you think about it, um, I don't, uh, Katie Lang and, and Wiseblood are very different artists, but I love them both for the same reason, which is, you know, the sort of beauty of and tone of their voice. Um, Katie Lang, in particular, I saw many, many, many years ago uh, for the first time and, and truly was like realized when I saw her for the first time that, you know, I started at Symphony Hall in Boston and I, and I was like, wow, this. This room can't contain her. Like yeah, her voice is so voice. massive, and I was never, you know, given the production on Katie Lang albums. You know, I was I had never been able to experience what the live version of Katie Lang was on any of her albums. As much as I love something, um, you know, uh, some of her albums, um, they just never measured up to the live experience, and so it was interesting to hear her on this and also Wiseblood, um, who I, who you and I saw last year, who I really, yeah, that was uh, love. And, um, you know, there's a warmth to their voices, which is, and I think there's a warmth to Brandon Flowers' voice. Um, they're sort of, I think one of the things he does so well is, um, first of all, he, he can sort of, he sort of emphasizes by de-emphasizing, um, his, his vocals sometimes. Um, you know, he almost does like that, that almost like fake, you know, that when James Brown used to come out and, and, you know, pretend that he was too exhausted to continue and then like fly back up and throw the cape off and, you know, yeah. um, start dancing again. Like, um, you know, Brandon Flowers does a little bit of that vocally. Um, he sort of, it, you know, at the, uh, it's a song I'm trying to think of. If you can read, you know, read my mind off Sam's town, um, you know, at the very end when he's sort of shouting along with the, the thing, but he's, he's, it's almost like a drummer playing behind the beat. He's like, oh, you almost like away from the mic enough. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I always like that he's a little theatrical in that regard. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I just wanted to commend him on his choice of, of collaborators. No, it's very, it's cool. And I, one of the two things I'll just throw out there and then we can uh, end this, like we always end it. But, um, you know, they also tend to write all of the albums together as a band. I mean, I think he does some of the stuff himself and and, uh, and maybe, you know, a portion of it, but I always thought that was kind of cool about them. And uh, we you did throw out Daniel uh, Lanois and on their 2012 album, um, Battleborn. Um, I'm not sure if he produced it, but he definitely wrote a couple of songs on it and played it. Oh, really? It, so. I didn't, yeah, I didn't so even know that. 
<laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, they do kind of reek of a Daniel Lanois band, but... Yeah, no kidding. But um, cool. Well, I, I think we uh, highly, both highly recommend the new record and uh, definitely taking a, a visit through the back catalog as well as the... Uh, we're official fans. We're in the mm-hmm. fan club now. And, uh, yeah. After many years of pretending not to be. God, God bless Ronnie Venucci Jr. <laughs> I love that name. Um Anyways, let's uh, end this like we always do, because uh, I know you got places to be and things to do. Um, what have you been listening to? Well, I just finished a, a very miserable but excellent book um, called A Little Life, and it is uh, it's a few years old. I think it was written in 2015. It's about four friends from college and, and sort of follows them through adulthood in New York City and and I you know I don't want to give too much away um in case you're itching to read an 800 page book 738 pages of which are miserable but um <laughs> it is pretty great and um so I would highly recommend anybody I think read I'll wait that for February yeah please yeah <laughs> let's let's wait till things get worse um but yeah, that's that's kind of been that consumed a fair amount of my time in the past few weeks, and um, that and I revisited After Hours, a movie I hadn't seen really since the early '90s, uh, the Martin Scor- 1986 Martin Scorsese movie, which I always thought was a treasure, and I reconfirmed it by watching it again. Um, it's you know, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it is. I have. It, I, I know I have, and I think I did really like it. It, it was during a like very fertile period of seeing a ton of like kind of art, arty, like off the grid yeah. movies. And uh, I do. It's like King of Comedy or something like that, right? Where it's like yeah, it's just a little more oddball for him. Five years after King of Comedy, it was his other comedy. Yeah. But both of his comedies are kind of horror movies. Yeah. Um, and I think I remember him saying that he wanted to do a monster movie where the monster was New York City. And it's yeah, I do remember way. After Hours. Yeah, that is a great movie. <laughs> it was really fun to revisit. And it also, like, I, I was dying for anybody who was much younger than me uh, to watch it alongside me because it it's the New York that I grew up in and around. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, look how shitty Soho was. <laughs> You should hop on the train because I think, um, unfortunately, yeah, no, but it was just so funny to see how how degraded um, the fanciest neighborhoods in New York were only twenty five years ago. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I, I mean, I just side note remember as a kid and when we were in New Jersey growing up and going in, and I just was scared shitless of that city. So yeah, in the eighties, used know. to do that to you, and it does not anymore. No. Um, well, I'll be quick on what am I listening to. I, I moved recently, so I was uh, stuck without, like, you know, great service on Wi-Fi cause during the pandemic and things. But I ended up uh, – and I don't know if I talked about this in the last one, so if I did, sorry. But um, I ended up finally watching all, all four hours of the Tom Petty doc, which I'm sure you talked about at one point prior if I didn't. But, uh, man, like, I really just love that guy. <laughs> and, uh <laughs> He's just a, like American treasure, and and you know I think the one thing that really stuck out to me, I've always really liked Tom Petty, and and you know loved his music, and and you know um, everybody has ups and downs, but I never really quite got the integrity he had, and kind of how much he fought for artists and and being an artist, and then you know just to hear other people talk about like what a poet he is and how well he can write a song, it's like you know that when you hear a song like The Waiting or you know. 
um, refugee or something. But you, when you hear other people say it, you're like, oh, yeah. Like, not that I needed somebody else to confirm it for me, but it, it just was like he's he always was very humble to me in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was like one of those things. And, and never really got called out as like, you know, the Dylan type songwriter or, you know, whatever it's not it flashy. Was. But even like, you know, the Heartbreakers backing Dylan made Dylan sound amazing in the, in the footage there and stuff like that. It was just, a, or the Johnny Cash stuff when they back him up. He was just so into playing with people and, and mm-hmm. being like an, a musician. But also like, I just realized how crafty his fucking pop songs are. They're so good. Yeah, they are so good. And I also, you know, it was funny. I remember when the Traveling Wilburys came out, I was a freshman in college and um, because it was 1988. And I remember thinking like, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, yeah, Roy Orbison, and Tom Petty. Like Tom Petty Tom doesn't, Petty, right. he hasn't earned that. And then no, I realized like the MTV that. Guy, yeah. But I realized how much he he belonged. You know what I mean? It's like that guy yeah. was confident as hell, and it wasn't arrogance. It wasn't anything. It was confidence that he was as good as any of those other guys, and it was true. You know? No, it was. And I think they all also just saw the talent that he had as well. It was great. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was fun. And, uh, you know, otherwise just trying to kind of like get through, uh, you know, I haven't really watched anything new. So that's what I'm going to talk about. And mm. uh, we can throw a song on the on the playlist. Yeah. NFL season starts. Um, so that'll yeah. be taking up some time. Um, yeah. yeah. You want to throw a song on the uh, on the on the list yeah you know I'm gonna throw on uh, a band that we actually talked about on this this pod it's not the killers um, but um, I don't think we have a stroke song on there and I heard someday the other Perfect. day and uh, I love that song yeah it's been on my it's been on my list to add forever um, yeah, it's actually become my favorite song by them yeah I, it's it's mine um, Hmm, I'm going to throw, we actually have a few Killers tunes on there. Do we have when you when you were young? No, we don't. We have, um... It is, it's on there now. Mentioned. Okay, perfect. Cool. So, anyway, enjoyable, and uh, we'll talk soon. Um, yeah, we'll be back. Also, we, I just wanted to let everybody know that we took a little bit of a break. It was intentional, and um, this will probably be the first one to post in, in close to a month, but we're going to get back on schedule and yeah, uh, do this weekly. bi-weekly. So anyway, talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.